0: All right, we're digging in. Believe it or not, I had a lot more passages that we wanted to go through. I had to trim it down to just that, because there's a lot. Uh, but as we dig in, uh, let me kind of explain what we're doing and, and, and why we're doing it the way we're doing it. Uh, and so I'll explain it this way. Like, I've, I've always enjoyed flying. Uh, one of my weird dreams is to someday actually have a pilot's license. I'd love to have that. I'd love to be able to fly. Like last year for my, my uh, 40th birthday, my wife got me time up in the air with a flight instructor. Right? We just got to fly all over town. It was awesome. And uh, I, I love the peacefulness of it when just being up and, and high in the sky. But what, what I also love is is that when you're, when you're high in the air, when you're flying, you just get a different perspective of the world. Now, when you're on the ground, we... We, you see things in more detail, right? Which is obvious. We see things in more detail. You're able to, when you're on, on the ground, stop and pause and look at things with more precision. But but when you're in the air, right? You you see things differently. It's a it's a different kind of be, beauty to to behold because the world beneath you looks differently. You're, you're not able to to pause in the air, right? At least if you're pausing in the air, that's not a good thing, right? Like you're not able to pause in the air and then look at the details. You're getting a bird's eye view of things. You're seeing things in the air from a greater distance. And what it does is it gives you a bigger picture and a, and a bigger understanding, I believe, of the, of the world in which we live. Okay, so typically here, we, we spend time on Sunday mornings uh, on the ground, on, on the ground journeying through scriptures. So for example, we just finished last Sunday going through the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is comprised of just 16 chapters, but it took us over a year and a half to walk through it. Why? Because there were a lot of things to stop and look at, a lot of things to pause and, and, and take in a little bit more. It was just a slower-paced journey. But over the next six weeks, we're going we're gonna to get in the air, And we're going to look at God's story, God's God's unfolding story from about 30,000 feet. And, And there's a lot of benefits to this. Let me name one. Think about this. Uh, have you ever started watching a, a movie that, that you've never seen before, but you start watching it about halfway in? So you're just kind of scrolling maybe through the channels, and, and you just come across something about an hour, hour, in, hour and a half in or so, and you're like, oh well, let's see what this is. You kind of stick with it to the end, but what happens that last half that, of, of what you're watching, right? You're spending the last half of the movie trying to figure out what's going on right who are the characters who's the good guys who's the bad guys what's the plot line what's the storyline is this a good ending is this a bad ending right you're you're figuring out what is the full story here because you came in kind of halfway through it so you missed things well the same thing can happen in our our understanding of scripture if we don't understand the storyline of the bible That though the scriptures contain 66 different books that were written by over 40 different authors over the course of about 1,500 years, the goal over the next six weeks, though, is to show us that that all of the Bible is actually one story, right, about one God saving one people through one Savior. That's the story of the Bible. One story about one God saving one people through one Savior, Ultimately, what we're saying is that the Scriptures are about Jesus. So from Genesis to Revelation, from the books of the law and history and the books of poetry and wisdom, from the major and minor prophets to the Gospels to the Acts of the Apostles to the letters that were written to the early church, they're all telling one grand story about a holy God redeeming a rebellious people through a glorious Savior so what we're embarking on over the next few weeks is a study on what's called biblical theology. We're going to explore together the, the progressive plan of redemption as it unfolds throughout the pages of Scripture. That biblical theology is seeking to, to uncover the, the overarching message and the, the themes of the Bible and, and to show us how Jesus is the center of it all. That throughout these six weeks, we're going to explore the the connections between the Old and New Testaments and how they relate to one another in terms of the Bible's overall message. A Biblical theology, and I don't want us to get scared by that that term, but biblical theology is an essential tool for us for understanding the Bible's teaching and then applying it to life. It, uh, It enables us to see the Bible as a unified whole with each book contributing to the greater narrative of God's redemptive plan for his people. And so the hope is that, is that we're going to gain a, a greater understanding of God's message for his people and a, and a deeper appreciation for the beauty and, and just the richness of his word. And so like I said earlier, th- this is going to be a, a high-level view of the scriptures, right? We're going to cover all 66 books in six weeks. Genesis to Revelation. Which means we're going to be moving quickly. We're going to be moving quickly. Now the temptation I'm going to have is I'm going to want to pause. I'm going to want to pause, and I'm going to look at some things more in, in detail. So there might be moments where we where we stall the plane in the air a little bit, right? But but we're going to have to get it moving again, get back up in the air. But 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 the temptations going to be like, well, let's, let's camp out here, but we can't. We're going to look at the the greater distance, the big picture of God's unfolding story. So over the next few weeks, we're going to cover a lot of ground and cover a lot of ground quickly with this week's focus really being on the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And why these chapters? Well, these, these chapters really set the framework and the foundation for what we're going to continue to see unfold throughout the entirety of the scriptures. And so uh, hopefully when you walked in this morning, you were, you were given a handout, right, that looks just like, like this. Hopefully you got one of those. If you didn't, we're printing more each week, right? So we're going to be handing these out each week. Now, you're not getting a new one each week, right? Like, so don't forget this. Bring it back. But we want to capture everybody. So the people that aren't here this Sunday, we want to get one to them next Sunday as well. So if you didn't get one today, if we ran out, I'm not sure. There'll be more there coming next Sunday as well. But bring that with you each, each week. There's lots of space there to take notes. Uh, but there's also some helpful information in the front of it. Now you can look at that. It just kind of lays out the timeline of, 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 of Scripture, uh, some information about the, the biblical books and how they're summarized and put together. But what I, what I also did was I summarized uh, each unit that we're going to be walking through each week. Uh, And there's an important reason why we had to summarize it. Um, I'm probably the only one here that would be totally fine listening to me for the next 8 to 10 hours go over Genesis 1 through 12. Uh, And and we could do this piece by piece, but because I love you, um, what we're going to do each week is we're going to zero in on a a few specific key passages, but the summary is going to be helpful for you because that summary is going to help you then understand the entire unit of Scripture that we're covering Right? And, and how then that, that unit of Scripture fits into the redemptive narrative of Scripture as a whole. And then how do we see Jesus as the center of it all? So uh, each week we're going to begin by just kind of reading through this summary together. So let me do that this morning. Read the summary of Genesis 1 through 12. And then we're going to start digging into just a, a few specific passages that we heard read this morning and see it come more to light. So to summarize Genesis 1 through 12, we could, we could say it this way, that God's unfolding story of his glory begins in creation. That the first 12 chapters of Genesis, they, they introduce us to a holy God and a sinful humanity. These chapters provide the framework for mankind's design and purpose and an explanation for the reason that everything is flawed today with a promise of redemption. Redemption. Chapter 3 reveals humanity's rejection of God and the curse that came upon all creation because of mankind's sin. The following chapters, chapters 4 all the way through 11, continually unfold man's sinful heart and the utter depths of human depravity. Yet through the messiness of man's sin and betrayal, we see God's desire to redeem all of creation back to how it was meant to be. It's here in these moments of utter despair that God's plan of redemption begins to unfold in chapter 3 a promise is made of a future redeemer who would set things right again in chapter 12 a promise is made to abraham to bless him make him the father of a great nation a promise to redeem people from every corner of the earth this promise sets the stage for the for the for the rest of god's unfolding story of redemption which is ultimately found through jesus christ so with that framework, with that summary laid before us, let's now turn our attention to a few, few chapters of Genesis. And I want to, as we jump in here, I want to note several themes that are going to be found throughout the Scriptures. Several themes that, that we're going to see continually play out. So like next week, we're going through the law and commission. Exodus through Deuteronomy. I'll probably actually take it all the way through Ruth next Sunday. But Exodus through Deuteronomy. We'll look at the law all right, the week after that, Dan's going to be up here, and he's going he's to be teaching through the, the, the united and divided kingdom, right? So looking at the kings. Trevor, the week after that, is going to come up, and he's going uh, to teach on the major and the minor prophets. Then I'll be back up for, for weeks uh, five and six, walking through the gospels, and then the, the, the church and the consummation of all things. But what you're going to see each and every week is certain key themes popping up time and time and time again. And, and so let me lay out some of these, some of these themes. I think I've, I've written down nine or so. I don't have nine points, but these are nine themes. I think I only got six points today, all right? Uh, there's the theme, number one, theme of, or, or the pattern, you could say, of God's reign and rule. You're gonna see that throughout scripture. Uh, a theme or a pattern of God's reign and rule. You could even write his kingdom, right? Uh, Graham Goldsworthy, he, he writes in, in his book, Gospel and Kingdom, he explains God's kingdom this way, That's God's people in God's place, under God's rule, right? So God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's, that's a way to kind of define or understand kingdom. And you see that. We're going to see that in the opening pages here uh, in just a few few moments, the, the theme of kingdom, the pattern of kingdom that Eden sets out for us. Uh, secondly, we see a theme of, of paradise in Scripture. And some of these overlap, right? Living in God's kingdom is paradise enjoyed, right, by God's people, but, but we want to see that as well, this theme of paradise, life as it was intended to be, which is in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another, right relationship with creation itself. When those three things are taking place, that's, that's paradise. And that's what humanity is longing to get back to. Uh, a third theme we see throughout the scriptures is the theme of law, the theme of law and commands. In in that God gives us, gives his people his word and and then calls us to obedience for our good and for his glory. So you see the theme of law and commands throughout scripture. From there you see then fourthly a theme of of the fall, right? The fall or sin of rebellion. You're seeing that theme throughout scripture. We obviously saw it already as Scott read chapter 3 of Genesis. That's going to pierce through pretty quickly into the narrative. That mankind is deeply flawed, deeply broken, deeply sinful. Another theme that we see throughout Scripture is the theme of judgment, right? The theme of judgment because of mankind's rebellion. You'll see that come through time and time and time again, the theme of judgment. You see the theme of exile, right? Exile is a the theme that's seen throughout Scripture. Another way of seeing that maybe is, is that paradise has been lost. Or, or paradise has been removed from God's people, and then there's this, this yearning with them to return. Don't have time to get into it here, but what happens with Adam and Eve? They're removed from the garden, right? So they're 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 cast into exile. Right? We'll see that when with the kingdom divided. You're going to see that with the nation uh, of Israel that, that is brought into exile in Assyria and Babylon. You'll see that in weeks ahead, but there's exile that comes throughout the Scriptures. When Jesus hung on the cross, there's this idea there that he was forsaken. He was exiled, right? And so the theme of exile is seen throughout Scriptures as well. You see a theme also, though, of promise, where you could maybe write covenant The theme of promise is prominent throughout the scriptures. That God's people are yearning for paradise and God gives them this promise of return, of healing. A few other themes that that we'll return to oftentimes is the theme of sacrifice, right? This return back into paradise, back into the kingdom, comes through sacrifice, right? So this theme of sacrifice is seen throughout scripture. Atonement, suffering, right? found throughout the pages of scripture a lot, one last theme that i've noted and maybe most gloriously is the theme of redemption the theme of redemption or salvation right paradise restored right life as it was intended to be in right relationship with our creator like i said genesis 1 2 3 kind of set the stage for these themes of paradise kingdom and and so we begin in a garden and then revelation ends in a city right but but the, the concepts are, are there. It's, it's a return back to life as it was meant to be. See, Scripture begins this grand narrative by introducing us uh, to this creator, sustainer of all there is, the one by whom all else finds its meaning and its purpose, the great king who reigns over all existence. So let's go through some key passages here and start seeing some of these themes popping up. So Genesis 1, 1, a passage that probably a majority of us in this room are very familiar with. In the beginning. Right? God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what was before creation? God was before creation. God is. God is the self-existent one. There's so much we could do just with this one verse right here. The self-existent one, holy and glorious, without any defect or need whatsoever. And so out of his glory, God creates. God does not create out of need. God does not create out of boredom. It wasn't a slow day. And he's, what should we do today? Let's create the universe, I guess. God does not create out of boredom. He does not create out of need. God creates out of his glory. And the rest of chapter one then is, is unfolding this marvelous creative act of God who's speaking, speaking into the emptiness and, and bringing order out of the chaos of Nothing. That's what we're seeing in Genesis 1 and 2, right? Bringing order out of the chaos of just nothing. This is a God who creates out of his glory. He speaks life into existence. He breathes, and the psalmist say that the, the stars were born. Right? He brings something out of nothing, all meant to reflect his character, his beauty, his glory, right? All scripture is pointing to him. He is majestic and great. And then the pinnacle of, of this creative act is the creation of humanity. seen in, in verses 26 through 27. Then God said, let us... Now, it would stall the plane for just a second. So you have, you, have, you have Genesis 1, God, singular, right? So we're already starting to get here a, a picture that this God's unique from creation. So God, singular, creates, but then says let us. Us is a plural word, right? So we're already getting a picture that he is, he is plural, but yet one, right? There's the Trinity. So you start picking up on these aspects of who God is. All right, let's keep moving. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, right? Do you hear maybe a theme taking place here in these first few verses, the theme of God's reign and rule? God's reign and rule, right? This is his world, his world, his place his kingdom his reign his rule and we are people created to to, to live in this kingdom in this world underneath his reign underneath his rule for his glory which means that the universe right is not about us it's not about us the story of god's redemptive plan is not about us it's about him it's about his grace and his mercy and His kindness and His love. So everything finds its, its meaning and its purpose in God. And so the scriptures then that, that you're holding in your hands, and please hear me, is not about you. It's about God. The scriptures are telling the story of God. And we are the created beings meant to reflect or to to image the glory of God, that we are imagers, we are reflectors of another. Like, like when, you look in a, when you looked in a mirror this morning and you, you stood there in front of the mirror and you saw yourself, you're not in that moment literally seeing um, a cloned version of yourself in that moment, right? Like we, we understand that, we know that. It's not what a mirror is, not what a mirror does. A, mi- a mirror is a reflector, it's an imager, it's reflecting back or imaging what's in front of it. So we're mirrors. This is what God says. We're mirrors or imagers of God. We aren't God. We image God. We point back to him. So we image or reflect aspects of God's character, such as knowledge and wisdom and goodness and love. We display mercy and, and, and peacefulness. We exercise, as we heard, dominion over the rest of creation. That's, that's what we're made for, right? To reveal aspects. Of our Creator God, that no other created thing was given that honor, no other created thing was, was made in the image of God other than humanity the the, the dominion that we heard of we are given right we 're given over god 's creation is handed to us, right we did not earn it, we did not fight for it. God in his wisdom says, "Let let us have dominion. We must remember that this is god 's world, and we are subject to him. We are a dependent people who find our satisfaction and our meaning and joy when we are abiding and submitting to and and are in the presence of our God. Why? Why? Because God is a good God who created a good world, right, for humanity to enjoy, right? Enjoy his place under his rule. Right, and so that's the theme of kingdom. But we want to jump then into then this theme that we see also in Eden, this is theme of paradise, right? Paradise enjoyed. We see that in verse 31 of chapter one. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Jump down to chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What we see in those few verses there is this idea, this reality that God withholds nothing from his people that is not meant to bring them good. Verse nine says that God made, made trees that were pleasant to the sight and good for food. He made them just to spring up, spring up all over the garden. What do we see there? God provides. God is the great provider that he took care of them. Right? Yes, we are then called to be dependent upon him, but he does not withhold anything. He holds nothing back for us that's for our good and ultimately our enjoyment in him. This right here in these few verses of chapters 1 and 2 is as good as it's going to get. Mankind is enjoying paradise, enjoying right relationship with God. Nothing is hidden in this moment. There's no tension, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no suffering, there's no fear, there's no worry, there's no secrecy whatsoever. Everything humanity needs is right here. This is paradise enjoyed. And because God is good and because God is kind and because God loves his people and because he holds nothing back from them that's for their good, he then gives them his word, which is to lead them into the the fullness and the vitality of life. That God desires for human beings to flourish in his world, in his place, under his rule and his care. And so God gives his law. He gives his commands, which which in this environment only leads here to to life. We see that in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. You see this command first given to Adam and Eve. And the Lord God took the man, or uh, his command at this point given to Adam, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, right? So here's thirdly the theme of law, the theme of law and command. God's law is not meant to oppress us. It is meant to set us free. It's meant to lead us to life. Now in our corrupted and sinful state, we don't see law that way. We see law as oppressive. In our flesh, we, the law is something that oppresses us. In our, in our sinful state, we see the law as something that enslaves us, something that we need to get away from. But, but like I said, the law of God is, is, is freeing and it's life-giving. So, for example, uh, when my kids were, were young, one of the rules we had for them was that is that when they were playing outside, they had to stay in our yard. Right? I don't think that's crazy, but like we, had a, we had a command for them, a, a house rule, you stay in our yard, that they were not allowed to go near the street or they were not allowed to go into the street. If they did, there was going to be consequences, right? They'd be in trouble. They'd be taken inside. Now, to a two-year-old, right as soon as they hear something that they're not supposed to do, right? That immediately becomes the one thing that they want to go do, right? So so my kids, um, in that moment, all of a sudden would look at the yard as something that had to escape, that the fence that surrounds our yard, that's a a prison wall. I've got to get outside of it in order to find life, right? So I would tell them, listen, the whole yard, the whole yard is, is yours, Nothing's kept from you in this yard, right? Enjoy it to your heart's content. I even built a playground in the backyard where they could swing and climb and have as much fun as they possibly could, right? This is yours. Have fun. And all of that to a two-year-old seems like garbage because they look at that concrete road, and all of a sudden that concrete road is calling to them, right? So in their minds, right, And, and this is humanity, but in their minds they saw dad as a stealer of joy. He's stealing my joy. I want that. And he's keeping it from me. Uh, Dad's an oppressor. He's an enslaver. I know he's given me all this. Yeah, then thanks. But I want that. I want that. And he's keeping it from me. He's not loving me. Now, as parents, why do we still instill these rules in our home? Because we understand that our children are going to enjoy life more if they aren't hit by a car. Right? Isn't that the rule? That's literally the only reason for the rule. You're going to enjoy life a whole lot better if you're not hit by a car. And so the law, the command that we gave them, wasn't meant to oppress them. It was meant to guide them. It was meant to free them. It was actually to lead them into the fullness of life. That's what God's law is. That's is why the psalmist of Psalm 119 understood that reality. It's why he could say things such as, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Or in verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Who speaks like that? Or verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Right? He understood the nature and the character of God. God's good and withholds nothing from his people that's for their good. And so God's, God, God's commands were something to delight in, not to run from. However, we know this isn't the state of humanity today, is it? We, we do not delight in God. We run from him. We shudder at the thought of submitting to his will rather than our will. Right? So, so what happened to this Genesis 1 world? Well, Genesis 3 happened. And this is where we see the theme that gonna, we're going to see over and over, but the theme of the fall, sin and rebellion. In chapter 3, Satan enters into God's good world and he tempts humanity. Adam and Eve distrust God. Right? To, look, to look to something other than God to satisfy them. That's what happened in Adam and Eve's heart. We said this last week that sin... Defined in one sentence is is our failure as human beings to love God with all of our soul, heart, mind, and strength. That's what sin is. Our failure to be humans who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Clearly, we were created to delight solely in God alone. We see that in chapter 1 and 2. The temptation of Genesis 3, then, is... Is, and I think this is really careful for us to, good for us to, to grab a hold of. The, the temptation of Genesis 3 was not that the fruit that they ate was in itself wicked. It's not that it was wicked. But it was, it was the fact that the, them taking hold of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, like in them taking hold of that, Adam and Eve were saying in their hearts that they don't trust God to be their sole delight. Like, like he's not their portion. He's not what satisfies them. Yet they believed in that moment that, that God was withholding good from them and that it was now on them to seek out that good that's apart from God. Right? That's sin. That's sin. They put something before God. They failed to trust him to be the, their provider. Right? It's, it's why even today good things can still be turned into idols So, for example, like my my wife is a gift. She's a gift to me, a blessing to me. Like I love her dearly. But I I mention this in every premarital counseling session I do. She is not created, not designed to to meet the deepest longings of my heart. And she would say the same thing about me. Like if I look to my wife as the one who is supposed to fill the deepest longings of my heart and soul. If I look to her to be my source of delight and joy and satisfaction alone, apart from God, she becomes an idol. She becomes an idol of my heart. And and I'm placing then a burden on her that she was actually never created to carry in the first place. Like our spouses, as much as we love our spouses, they were not meant to make sense of your life. Right? Like like that that, do we understand that? Like we've got to get out of the 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 cultural view of love in the sense of like this Jerry Maguire, like you complete me mentality of love. Like I'm incomplete until I find you. Now I'm complete. That's idolatry. It's idolatry, and we're putting something on that person that they were not created to carry, and it will crush them. Right? Only God is able to meet the deepest longings of our souls. And to place anything before God is sin, and that's what happened in the garden. I mean, look at the language used of of verse 6 in chapter 3. It says, "When, when a woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. See, the fruit in her eyes looked good. It was delightful. It was desired. Their attention, their gaze, their affection, their hearts turned from God and then turned onto creation. And the effects of their rebellion against God were devastating. Verse 7 says that they, uh, uh, immediately their eyes were opened. They, they knew that they were naked. See, what's happening here is that shame is felt for the very first time in human history. And thus begins this downward spiral of, of, of humanity trying to fix it, trying to fix their shame. In chapter 3, it says they, they, they ran and sewed fig leaves together, right? They're, they're trying to cover themselves, Verse 8 says that they, when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, instead of running to him, which is what they always did, they for the first time in human history ran from him. This is the effect of sin upon humanity. There's division and brokenness between us and one another, right? They, they had to cover themselves. There's division and brokenness between them and God. This, is, this theme of, of the fall will continue throughout the pages of Scripture. Man's downward spiral continues in the following chapters of Genesis. In chapter 4, Adam and Eve, after they're exiled from the garden, they have, they have children, right? Cain and Abel. Well, Cain gets angry one day at Abel because Abel's sacrifice was uh, acceptable for God and his wasn't. So Cain rises up and murders his brother. Didn't take long, did it, for murder to, to, to come into God's good world. In chapter 6, humanity is multiplying on the earth. But with that multiplication, Scripture also says that the, the wickedness of man right, is multiplying as well. And we get this sobering verse and Chapter 6, verse 6, so that says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The following chapters unfold the flood that God caused upon the earth to remove mankind. Yet Noah and his family are saved because Noah found favor in God's eyes. There, there we start to see the theme of grace and mercy. Yet soon after Noah and his family, they, they, they enter into the world again following the flood. Noah and his descendants soon, soon follow right back into wickedness and depravity the human heart is fractured it's broken it is desperately sick and it's in need of healing we need hope of redemption and we see that we see that shine through in chapter three when when everything is crumbling around them while the world world is crashing and burning because of man's sin god intervenes god intervenes And speaking to to Satan, who tempted humanity to rebel, God proclaims this truth in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Right? We we now enter into this this theme of hope. It's a theme of hope. That God is saying to Satan, there's someone coming. Like, who, who... you're going to have an impact on, like he's going to suffer. You're going to bruise his heel, but through his suffering, he's going to crush you. He's going to crush you. From that point forward, the, the question scripture is asking is, who is he? Who is he? Who is this redeemer of humanity, of, of God's world? Who, and, and how's he going to redeem it? Right? That's the question from that point forward that scripture is trying to answer. Who is it? It's clear it's going to be through someone who's going to suffer. And it becomes increasingly clear throughout the scriptures as they unfold that it's going to be through death. And it's going to be through sacrifice. Right? We'll get to that even more next week when we get to the sacrificial system. But we get a picture of it in verse 21 of chapter 3. When you see God intervening for Adam and Eve, it says that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. You see, it's here that you see the theme of sacrifice. This theme of, this theme of sacrifice. What did mankind try to do? To cover their shame, but, but they were unsuccessful. God needed to intervene. But in order for their shame to be covered, something had to be sacrificed. In order to cover them, an, an animal here had to die. This is a picture of what we're going to see unfold throughout the pages of Scripture and what we're going to see, especially, like I said, next week when we begin to get to the sacrificial system. We'll get a, a better picture of it, a clearer picture. Still not perfectly clear until Christ arrives on the scene, but we're starting to put the pieces together. This is the unfolding story of redemption. In order for our sins, our shame to be forgiven and covered, there has to be payment. There has to be sacrifice. There has to be atonement. It's clear, even from looking at Adam and Eve, that humanity is incapable of fixing themselves, that we need another Savior, another Redeemer. But again, the question that Scripture is going to ask is, well, who is the guy from chapter 3, verse 15? Who is this Redeemer? And God's story of redemption continues to unfold that, that that Messiah will become clearer and clearer. And we know from these opening pages already, it's not Adam not Adam. He failed, right? It, it's not, as we read through chapter 6, 7, 8, it's, it's, not, it's not Noah, right? Even though he found favor in God's sight, even though he was, uh, and his family were, were saved from, from judgment, Noah still failed. Noah still failed. In chapter 12 of Genesis, we're introduced to a man named Abram, later changed to Abraham, which means the, the father of, of many. Now, why was his name changed? It's because of this final theme we'll touch on today, the theme of promise, the theme of promise. This promise of God, this covenant that God enters into with Abram here is found in chapter 12, verses one through three. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's, it's here that, that God, in, in, in the decay of humanity, God intervenes. And, and God enters into this, this, this promise of God and what he's, what he's saying, again, this is high level, but this, what he's saying is I'm returning humanity back to paradise and I'm gonna do it through you. Through your line, a restoration of relationship between God and mankind. And the way that God's going to accomplish this is going to be through the line of Abraham. Through through him, God is going to draw, he says, this promise here, all nations, all people to himself, which means that, that people from every tribe and every language and every tongue are going to be redeemed and set free again. God is saying here in this promise, sin is not going to win. Death is not going to have the final word over my creation. God has the final word. This is the promise that we today rest in. See, the story that we've begun this morning has just begun. It's just begun. God's plan of redemption is unfolding in these early pages. And, and these themes that we, we saw even today are going to come back time and time again. They're going to echo throughout the rest of Scripture, and they're going to find ultimately, though, their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, the question Scripture asks in Genesis 3 is, is who is this Messiah who will redeem humanity? It's not Adam. It's not Noah. Is it, is, is it Abraham? Maybe? If, if, if you don't know anything about the rest of Scripture, you could go through this like, well, maybe it's Abraham. Right? Is it him? And, but yet, as the story of Abraham begins to uh, unfold, you see, no, no he, he fails. He's like the rest of Humanity, he fails to obey God's law perfectly. He doesn't always trust the Lord, right? We'll see next week the, the nation of Israel come. It comes from the Lion of Abraham. And maybe that's going to be what, what sets the nations and draws the nations to the Father, right? He says they're going to be blessed through them. So though Israel does, we'll see. Though Israel was called to be that light to the nations, Israel fails time, time, and time again until they are even exiled from God's land. They're not even humanity's hope. In week three, we're going to look at the kingdom of Israel. So is the hope maybe at this point of the story, is it, is it David? Right? David seems likely, but nope, David falls short. Is it one of the prophets that, that speak boldly for God? Nope. Again, the answer is no. They all fail. They're not the Redeemer. Who is it? All of these, those we'll see as the story unfolds are shadows, shadows of the one true Redeemer. That everything's going to continue to build and build until Jesus steps onto the scene, right, steps onto the scene in the Gospels and rightly proclaims and declares, I'm the Messiah, I'm here. See, if you, want a, if you want a song that encapsulates all that the series is going to be, we just sang it, Christ the True and Better. Like, this is what this series is all about, that Jesus is the true and better Adam, that Jesus is the true and better Noah, He's the true and better Isaac, the true and better Abraham, the true and better Israel, the true and better David, that Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. In fact, Scripture would say that all the promises of God find their yes in and fulfillment in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. You see, here's where I want to land today as we're going to land each and every week. We, we want to look to Jesus. This is to study a biblical theology. How does scripture center around him? The, the temptation that, that we face today is to look away, just like what Adam and Eve faced. It's to look to ourselves. It's to look to others to fix our brokenness, to cover our shame, to heal our wounds. But see, God's unfolding story, even from these opening chapters of Genesis, still clearly reveals that, that there is a problem with Our hearts. That there's a problem with with who we are just by nature. That there's a brokenness that needs to be mended and that we are incapable of fixing it. That we have to look outside of ourselves to another. That we, we need a savior. We need a Christ, a Messiah, a redeemer. And so on the cross, Jesus was sacrificed. On the cross, Jesus was exiled. He was forsaken by God. On the cross, Jesus absorbed God's judgment for mankind's sin and rebellion. On the cross, Jesus became our, our substitute. See, the hope for humanity and our longing and yearning to return to paradise is found only through Jesus Christ. This is the grand story of redemption found in the pages of Scripture. It's, it's a story of loss. It's a story of brokenness. It's a story of pain and suffering, but it is a story that has hope. It's a story that has a promise. It's a story that has healing. It's a story that has, has redemption. And it's a story that begins in a garden and ends in a city with God's redeemed living forever with him in paradise once again. Paradise restored. And so the question here as we close is, are you a part of that story? Are you a part of that story? You know, we talk about here even today with communion, but we we remember the, the the life death resurrection of Jesus, and so for the church today, that's where our hope is. It's in Him and Him alone. He is the story. He is the center of it all. But for those in here that are that are listening, that you're not a part of the story. I mean, you're a part of the story in some, but you might still be in that Genesis three world. You you might still be in that 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 world of judgment and wrath and condemnation that you're carrying yourself. And so the invitation is to, to come into the story of hope and redemption, where that, that judgment and that wrath is lifted because Christ absorbs it in himself on the cross. And so entrance into the kingdom of God, right? God's 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 people in God's place under his rule. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God's at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There's entrance into the kingdom is not through works. It's not through church attendance. It's not through giving charitable, whatever good you can attribute to yourself. It's through Christ and Christ alone, the way, the truth, the life. He is the bridge to the Father, toward right relationship. And so the invitation to you this morning is to repent of your sin, of of, of the sick nature of your heart, and turn in faith to a God who loves, who cares, and who provides, and will redeem you. That's the story we're, we're inviting you into, and that's the story, church, that we're going to be uh, worshiping in over the next six weeks. So pray with me this morning as we close here. God, we come to you thanking you that you are good, that you are gracious and kind, that you are, as we see just from these opening pages of Scripture, that you are um, powerful and might, that you speak and things come into existence God, that you are beyond what our human minds can even comprehend. You're beyond, you transcend your creation. That you, that you are holy. God, that you are unique and set apart from us. And yet, at the same time, you are personal. That, that you walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. You, you dwelt with them. And, and so we see that, that man's design is to be in relationship with you. And yet sin has fractured that relationship. And from that point forward, we have been trying to fix ourselves. And yet what what scripture is going to reveal and unfold is that we need to look to Christ who has fixed it. Christ who has defeated the power of, of sin and death, delivered us from it. And so God, our hope then here is that we rest in your work and what you have done through Christ. And that in these these. Weeks that come that we'll just see more and more clearly the picture of Christ, even as we study law, even as we study exile, even as we study the, the kings, as we look at the gospels, as we look into how the church is to live, that, that everything would still revolve and center around Christ who is the true and better and the one that we need. So God, would you be exalted and lifted up as we look to Jesus, as we sing to Jesus, as we rest in Jesus, as we abide in Jesus for our good and his glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name.